You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. There's been a pandemic. There have been protests. Sometimes it's hard to even remember what the world was like before now. And yet the gospel is still good news. And heaven still rejoices over the number one. To make Jesus known, we each have to start with one lost person. Think about it. If I were to ask you who's your one, would you have an answer? I know it's hard. Your one might be someone hiding in plain sight. And sometimes, let me tell you about Jesus, just doesn't feel like the most natural way to have a conversation. But we're in this together. Tens of thousands of believers have found their one, and you can learn from them. Listen, everyone is talking about how the world has changed, but one person sharing Christ with one other person, that is real change. And it comes when you answer the question, who's your one? Well, good morning and welcome once again to Southridge. We're thrilled that you would make plans to join us in worshiping the Lord together. Last week, I asked a question that I'm going to ask again. Why does God send people to hell? Several years ago, I was a little kid. My parents wanted a vacation. They had seven kids, so they found people in our church to watch their kids. That's not an easy feat. And we were staying over at a friend's house, and they also had four boys, and they had a pool. I grew up in Fresno, so Fresno gets really hot. Like, here's the sun, here's America, and Fresno's right here next to the sun. Like, it's just right in there. It just gets hot. And so, you know, we'd play, and then as soon as we could, we made a beeline for that pool. Now, the friend's house that we were staying at, they had four boys. They had, I think, about an 11- or 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and then they had a 6-year-old, and then they had a 3-year-old. And the 3-year-old, of course, wanted to keep up with everything the rest of us older boys were doing. And so, man, when it got hot, we just ran to the pool. We just jumped in. Well, the smallest, the youngest, the 3-year-old, his name was Michael. Michael typically would put on a life jacket, some waders, But on this day, he didn't do any of that. And so as we're all in the pool, splashing around, having a great time, we didn't notice that Michael also jumped in the pool. Except for Michael didn't have his life jacket on. He didn't have his waders on. And he just got caught up in the moment. So I don't know why it was. Something, you know, I was 12 at the time. I just turned around and you just see him sinking to the bottom. So immediately you dive in and you go get him, you pull him out, and then I handed him to his mom. You know what his mom said to me? Why did you drown my kid? No, it's not what she said. She said, thank you for rescuing my kid. Her kid was already on the way to the pool. Nothing was going to change that. You and I aren't already on our way to heaven 
we're actually already on our way to hell. And it's not that God is sending you there. It's he's trying to rescue you from going there. We are like Michael. No life jacket. No waiters. We are running towards our demise. And God sees this. And it's not that he wants to send any because his word specifically says, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. All in the Greek means all. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God is not willing that your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, even the boss you may not like, he doesn't want any of them to suffer in eternity. But what happens often is that people that ask the question, why would God send anyone to hell, aren't really asking a question. They're raising an argument. Whenever they ask you that question, they aren't asking you a question. It's their whole reason why they think all of Christianity is a sham. It's a grift. It's fake. It's irrelevant. And so... You and I, God's people, the family of God, we have a job in front of us because we see people that are headed to the pool like Michael, and we know that that's their demise, and we are the ones that have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. We said it like this. You and I don't have a calling to tell people about Jesus. We have a command to tell people about Jesus. So it's not a matter of ability It's a matter of obedience. So last week, when everybody grabbed this card and we said, hey, who's your one that you're praying for? Write down that name, tear off the card, and then you keep a card and pray over it and look for it and then leave the other one. And this week, we're going to do that again. If you've got a one, you're going to be able to, at the end of the service, to write their name, put it on the cross and say, I'm praying for that person to be my one because that ripple effect that you can have in the life of Just one. But today, we're going to deal with a topic that, for anybody who studies the Word of God, is the most uncomfortable. It's the hardest topic to talk about. But it's there in the Bible. And I'm tired of the fact that only Hollywood and Halloween can talk and believe in hell. It's like, if you're a Christian, well, you're just not allowed to believe in hell. You're only allowed to believe in heaven. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Jesus talked about both. And so we need to be aware that he talks about both. And so we're going to go dive into the word of God this morning. And if you would, would you go to the book of Luke chapter number 16? Luke 16, because we as a church, if we don't care about the lost, then we as a church are lost. Because that's why we exist. It's why we do what we do. It's because we want to find people that are far from Jesus, far from God, and we want to tell them about him. That's our mission. That's why we're here. So in Luke 16, we're going to read an account. And this is Jesus' own words. Notice if you would, verse number 19 says this. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate Full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now is he comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Over the next several minutes that we have together, I want to look at hell's best kept secrets. This isn't going to be easy. It's going to be tough. You may not even agree. But would you please, it's too important to just gloss over this. I typically won't preach in a list style, but I want to give you a list of hell's best kept secrets. And the first one is this. Hell is a real place. In verse 23, the Bible says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Some people would say, well, this is a parable, pastor. No, no, no. He gives specific dates, or excuse me, he gives specific details as to the names, the places, the person wore. There's so much specifics here, which in other areas of Jesus' teaching, he doesn't give the specifics. And so here we see that hell is a real place, but so often I think one of hell's best kept secrets is that they want you and I to believe it doesn't really exist. And just relegate it to a curse word or a term of excitement. Hell yeah. Oh man, just go to hell already. It's like, why is that different? But yet when a Christian says, hey, there is such a place called hell that people get all offended. Some of you are like, no, I'm offended that the pastor just said hell in church in a message. That's what offends me. I don't care anything else. But it's the truth here that hell is a real place. And that's part of Satan's great secret is to get you and I and others to believe as if it doesn't exist, as if life has no consequences. I can live however I want. So let's imagine for a second we are skeptics and let's ponder the question, what if? Some of you know what I mean by that reference, what if? You're watching Disney Channel and you've watched the show, what if? Let's ponder the question, what if? What if the New Testament is correct that all 162 references to hell, Hades, Sheol is real? In just the New Testament, there's 162 references to hell. You say, oh, that's nice. No, 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 let's take it a step farther. Jesus specifically talked about hell 70 times. 
Jesus did. The one that everybody agrees with. The one that everybody likes. Jesus. Not God. Not the prophets. Not John the Baptist. No. Jesus. The one that everybody says Jesus is loving. Jesus would never send anybody to hell. Then why would Jesus talk about it so much? 70 times. Let's break that down. Three and a half years of ministry. That means that Jesus spoke on the topic of hell one time every single month. Imagine going to Jesus' church. Once a month, he's going to talk about hell. Every single month. I mean, that's got to be pretty important to him then. And Jesus, when he talks about it, he doesn't talk about it in a way that's cavalier. He talks about it as a literal place of torment, of pain. Because Jesus knew everyone who has ever died is actually still alive. You see, Jesus knew that this place is real, just like this man thought, hey, I'm going to die, I'm rich, and he probably believed in annihilation. What's annihilation? Hey, I don't remember anything before I was born. I won't remember anything after I die. But the Bible says, and when the rich man died, a second later, he lifted up his eyes being in hell. It was just a matter of a moment, and he's in hell. The hardest thing for me to do is a funeral. Because inevitably, somebody's going to walk up to the podium to lecture and say, well, at least we know they're in a better place. And a little part of me says, you know that's not true. You know it's not true. Because this man was a wealthy man. This man, he had the opportunity. But this man is going to hell, is there. How many people do you and I know that they're going to hell? And, and I know sometimes in our sarcasms, like, well, you know what? Well, my boss deserves it. My ex deserves it. That person deserves it. You know, the sad reality is that if I were to get you away from people, away from any of the sarcasm... And if you truly understood hell, you wouldn't want anybody to go there. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to go there. You wouldn't want Osama bin Laden to go there, Adolf Hitler to go there, Mussolini to go there, Pol Pot to go there. You wouldn't want Donald Trump to go there. Some of you are like, hmm, well, it's exceptions. I know how you voted. Just kidding. Just kidding. But yet when it comes to this topic here, Jesus, he addresses it because he understands the urgency. Hell is a real place. It's a real place of fire. It's a real place of darkness. Here's a horrible part. Hell is a real place of memory. Why is that so important? Because you knew what life was when it was good. Imagine to be in hell and you know how much a cold swim, how good it felt. And so he asked Abraham, hey, send Lazarus just to dip his finger in some water. That would be a comfort to me. Just a drop on my tongue is how much I'm craving, just a little bit of comfort. Notice the rich man, rich man doesn't say, hey, buddy, Father Abraham, hey, can you hook me up? I've been a good person. Can you get me out of here? Can you do me a solid? Can you let me by? How come he doesn't try to debate? He doesn't try to argue. No, when you're in hell, you know why. You'll have memory, and that memory will be, I remember sitting in that church one time. I came because I wanted some free chili, but then the guy started talking about hell, and then I didn't think it was worth having some free chili. <laughs> Nothing's worth that, no matter how good the chili is. But you haven't tried this chili, so just wait. Maybe it will be worth it. 
But understand, in that moment, his memory popped up in his mind. And memory is the worst thing because now you can remember a beautiful fall day. You can remember Christmas time. You can remember gathering with a family. You can remember all these times, and you'll remember all the chances you had to receive Jesus. But instead, you pushed it off. You pushed it off. You pushed it off. You'll just be exactly like when uh, Paul was witnessing to the, to the Roman uh, uh, ruler and he said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Almost. I'm so close. And so here we have memory. You will wake up in hell and you will remember your life before hell. That's the worst part. It's one thing when you've never tasted or never had anything good. You're not missing out. But to have enjoyed life. You see... This is a real place. Notice the man sees. Latin, this rich man, he can see. He can hear. He can taste. He can touch. He can feel. Here's what's crazy. His body is dead. Our souls have an ability to feel, sense, and hear. There's going to be this eternal body that's going to function very similar to this body. It's going to have feeling receptors. It's going to be able to hear and see. I think we read this text and we just kind of think, oh, you know, he's just kind of in hell and he's just going to suffer for a little bit. No, imagine this is all eternity. There's no escape. There's no release. Hell is a real place, my friend. And this is what's so important because nowadays it's much easier to just rip the pages out of the book and say there is no such thing as hell. But yet Jesus spoke on it. And it's hell's best kept secret to act like it doesn't exist. So first of all, we see that hell is a real place. Second of all, hell is our default destination, not heaven. How many times have you heard that? Well, we're all just going to go to heaven, though. We're all good people. The problem is you're measuring goodness by your standard. God doesn't measure goodness by our standard. Right now, I would say, of course, you're all good, except for the Raiders fans. Pray for you. But understand that when it comes to God, he has a different standard. You say, what is God's standard? God's standard is this. Don't look at a woman to lust after her unless you've committed adultery. That's God's standard. Don't say to your brother Rocco, which says, I hate you, because that's like you murdered them. That's God's standard. God's standard is even a thought can be a sin. So it's not that you're a good person, I'm a good person. That is a different standard. God has his own standard. You say, well, that's just not fair. When you come to my house, you must take your shoes off your feet. That is our standard. Our house, our standard. God's universe, God's standards. He owns it all. He made it all. So we have to follow his rules. Now, here's the worst part. It's not that we as Christ followers enjoy anyone going to hell. And what a terrible thing that there are people that kind of want God's judgment. If you understood God's awful wrath, you would have understood what a terrible thing. You wouldn't want anyone to experience it. And that's why Jesus took the wrath of God on him. Jesus experienced that awful pain. So you and I wouldn't have to. But I want you to see good people go to hell. This rich man's a good person. You say, how do we know? How many of you would let a homeless person sleep by your door? Anybody? He let a homeless person, a beggar, at his gates beg for food. And then he would give him the scraps. He would give him food. He would give him leftovers. This rich man's a good person. You may be a good person, but good people go to hell. 
And that's the thing that today is one of the biggest lies. I'm a good person. The Bible says, for there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none. So we must meet God's standard. Notice, not only good people go to hell, I also want you to see there's good theology in hell. You say, what do you mean good theology? He says, hey, send somebody to go tell my brothers, I got five of them, not to come here. Go tell them, and here's the word. He uses the word, the last verse. Go tell them they need to repent. This rich man knew what he needed to do to get out of hell, to avoid it altogether, and he doesn't do it, but he sure wants to make sure his brothers do it. There can be good theology in hell. This person knew the truth. You can know the truth and still go to hell, and that should sink in deep because the Bible says many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and thy name done many mighty works? And I will say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. And I will cast them out into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm dies not. Here's the gross details. Whenever you look at a carcass of decayed meat, that's where the maggots feast on that dead meat, right? If you're a hunter, you understand this, or if you watch National Geographic. But once the meat is consumed, the maggots die because there's nothing to feed on. So when hell is talking about the maggots, it's talking about maggots feeding on our flesh. But the worm dies not because your flesh will never die. Because even death would be an escape. It's a constant torture. And I'm just trying to give us just a a small little taste of just how bad this place is. And many people think, well, heaven is my default destination. No, hell is our default destination. And if hell is our default, then we must tell people how they can avoid such a horrible place. And so understand there's good people in hell. There's good theology in hell. There's also good priorities in hell. He said, go tell Lazarus to go witness, to go testify to my brothers. He understood the urgency of the moment. The church today, we don't understand any urgency about telling people about Jesus. We don't understand that on your seat is a little card. It's called Who's Your One? That you could take this card, and it's an easy way for you to start a conversation with somebody you don't know so you can tell them about Jesus. There was uh, a lady this week at Target. She was really friendly. She was really helpful, so I invited her to church, and she was like, thank you so much. And then she told me how she was a Christian. And I was like, oh, that's great. Well, give it to somebody you know who's not a Christian. Let them know about Jesus. It's so important that we tell people about Jesus. You see, he wanted to reach his family. Do you and I have the same concern? Do we want to reach our family and our friends? My greatest burden is that my family know Jesus. You see, Noah is an Old Testament character. He built the ark to rescue his family, and he preached for over 100 years that there's going to be a judgment, a flood is going to come, it's going to destroy the earth. For over 100 years, he preached, and not one person outside of the eight members of his family got on the ark, even though for 100 years they had an opportunity to. Many would say he was a failure as a pastor. His church never grew beyond eight. His ministry never grew beyond eight. But I say that he was a great success because he reached his household. You and I need to at least focus on our household to know that our children, our grandchildren, our spouse, our relatives, they're on their way to heaven. That they know that that's the one we're going to start with. Say, that's my one. I want to make sure they know Jesus because hell is a horrible place. But understand that hell is for punishment. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Hell is a place for punishment, and this is where people have a hard time. They say, why would God create such a place for you and I? But understand this. 
God never created hell for you and I. The Bible says in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for you and I. It was not prepared for us. It was not prepared for your friends or your coworkers. Hell was prepared for the devil. In John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. You say, what did God prepare for us? Heaven is prepared for God's people. Hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. The only problem is because of sin, we are on a direct destination towards hell. And God sent Jesus to rescue us, to save us. But many of us are rejecting the rescue. It's the person that they're caught in the flood, they're stuck on top of their roof, and they're waiting. And somebody comes up in an old, rusty, rickety boat and says, get in, I'll save you. Says, no, 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 I'm waiting for something a little bit nicer to rescue me. And a second person comes along, a little bit bigger boat, and he says, hey, jump in, the flood waters are rising. No, 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 I'm waiting for something a little bit nicer to come and rescue me. A helicopter comes along, and the guy says, hurry up, grab the winch, I'll rescue you to safety. No, I'm waiting for something a little bit nicer to rescue me. And the person eventually died and drowned. He had so many opportunities to be rescued. Many people would say, Jesus is so narrow-minded because Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. My friend, I think we misinterpret that. My wife has a saying, and I like it. It's unkind to be unclear. Whenever I'm driving, I like clear directions. I don't like it when somebody says, oh, yeah, just take the third right, look for a blue mailbox, then take another left, and then do a U-turn, look for the mailbox again, and then keep going past a quarter mile, and then look for the dog, and then take a right, and there's my house. No, thank you. I'm not coming over. That's not clear directions. But yet we get mad at God because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is just being clear because he wants to make sure you know how to get there. So stop saying he's narrow-minded. Stop saying he just doesn't want anybody to go. No, he wants to make sure you get there. So he makes it as clear as possible. And it's unkind to be unclear. So all throughout scripture, Jesus says, I'm the only way. There's no other way. But understand this, hell was created for punishment, but yet God created heaven for us. You know, when the Titanic sunk, everybody who got on board the Titanic, there was rich, famous celebrities, musicians, politicians. They were poor. They were middle class. They all got on the ship together. And many have said that it was kind of interesting to see that there was a definite caste system between the upper decks, the middle decks, and the lower decks. But when the Titanic sunk in the Atlantic, at the Starline offices in Liverpool, there was a board, and on the board, it said this. Those known to be lost and those known to be saved. Although they got onto the ship, some rich, some poor, some well-known, some not known, at the end of the day, there was only two groups of people, those who are saved and those who are lost. At the end of the day, there are only those who are saved 
and those who are lost. There's not the rich, the famous, the important, the middle class, the lower class. No, it is are you saved or are you lost? That's the biggest question that God is trying to settle. Write this down, please. You don't get to decide if you will live forever. You only get to decide where you will live forever. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is not the gift, though. Many times we think eternal life is the gift. Ponce de Leon went to Florida looking for the fountain of youth because he was trying to find everlasting life. He didn't need to leave Spain. He already had everlasting life. Ponce de Leon is still alive, not on this plane, but on a spiritual plane. You, the moment you came into existence, were eternal. What we don't understand, the gift is salvation. It's that now you get to spend eternity, not in hell, but in heaven. That is the gift. For the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And many times we don't understand that gift. You see, how many people, they're trying to extend their life. They're trying to do everything they can, but they don't understand their life is going to be extended. You see, eternity doesn't start once you die. It's already started. You live forever somewhere. This rich man today, 2,000 years later, is still in torment. He's still suffering. And if he could, for one second, come out of hell, he would have one message for you. And that message would be repent. The same message he wanted to tell his brothers. If he only got one word, he would say repent. What does the word repent mean? Metanoia means to change your mind. It means to see that God is good, that he's the only way of salvation, that it's only through him that I can be saved. That's the word. That's what he would want you and I to know. But then notice this, and this goes countercultural. Number five, there are many ways to hell, but only one way to heaven. You and I have heard it opposite, haven't we? There's many ways to heaven. No, my friend, there's many ways to hell and only one way to heaven. And Jesus is that way. And our church exists to tell people about that way. So you may listen to some spiritual guru who said, hey, eternity, eternal life is like a mountain. And there's different paths up the mountain. And that path may have a different religious name. But Jesus said, unless you come by the way of the cross, you're not going to get there. Jesus is the only way. And I know we live in a pluralistic society that says, let's just kind of, you know, let's kind of incorporate all faiths and all religion and all beliefs. The only problem is they're not going to get you there. You say, well, that's kind of messed up of God. Why wouldn't he let us into heaven? And I heard a preacher who gave a great illustration that said, you want to get into God's house and you feel like God should let you in. And you say, yeah, I feel entitled to. Okay, well, let's try that logic. Let's find any house in the world that you want to live in. Let's go knock on the door. And when they open the door, say, hey, I feel like I should get to live here. And they say, why? Because I'm a good person. And they say, not really. Call security and slam the door in your face. It doesn't work here. It's not going to work there. Just because you feel entitled to heaven doesn't mean you're going to get there. It's not an entitlement that we have. It's the entitlement that Jesus has because Jesus took on the suffering. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only by Jesus' name. I don't mean to offend and I hate offending people, but sometimes the word of God just is offensive. Allah is not the way. Joseph Smith is not the way. You can try Mormonism. It's not the way. 
You can try Jehovah's Witness, it's not the way. You can try the occult, it's not the way. You can try the Baha'i faith, it's not the way. Jesus said, I'm not a way, I'm the way. There's no other way. And there have been people that have tried and they failed. And we've got to come back to the fact that Jesus taught on this over 70 times. In John 8, 24, I said, therefore unto you, that you shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. See, the way to heaven is through Jesus. Jesus is that way. In 2011, I taught a Bible class, and um, Brenna and Jessica were in that Bible class. And I gave Brenna her very first detention, and I think her only detention. And she didn't do anything wrong. She just told me she had never gotten a detention. So I said, we need to fix that. Can't go through junior high without a detention. That's just like a rite of passage. So, but in that Bible class, there was a, guy, a kid by the name of J.J. Cornwell. And I had once, because we did Bible, and then we had history together, both classes. I taught them back to back. And so I had said something that Jesus is always the right answer. Well, that Friday, we had a test. And J.J. hadn't studied for his test. So when I got J.J.'s test, I began to grade his test. And do you know what he filled in every single blank on that 50-question test? Jesus. So the next day on Monday, I get up in front of the class. And I said, class, remember how I told you Jesus is always the right answer? Well, one of you students took that quite literally. And I said, I can't fail you. I have to let you pass. But nobody else gets to do that because J.J. put every single answer. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Every answer was Jesus. There's a little bit of truth to what happened with J.J. Jesus is the answer, my friend. He's not one of many. He is the only answer. But let's not fall for the trap that Jesus makes life better. Think about it for a second, folks. First century Christians... The moment you became a Christian, your business was gone, your reputation was gone, you're now going to run for your life, and you very likely would be executed for your faith. So Jesus didn't come to make your life better. He came to make you better at life. There is a difference. He came to show you how to suffer. He came to show you what grace under pressure looks like. He came to show you how to love the unlovable. He came to show you how to show the grace that otherwise would be impossible to. He came to show you how to do things that otherwise throughout without him you could not do. Jesus came to change you, not to make your life better, but yet so many people think, well, I'm a Christian. Shouldn't life get easier? No, my friend. As a matter of fact, the moment you become a Christian, expect the enemy, the devil to have your number and to come after you because the moment you become a Christian, he doesn't want you to live for him. He doesn't want you for one second to act like a Christian because he knows that the moment you start acting like a Christian, behaving like a Christian, you have a circle of influence and all of a sudden everybody around you is going to say they're different and it's a good kind of different. Man, they're not doing what they used to do. They're not acting the way they used to act. Something has changed about them. I wonder what it is. And then they're going to ask you. You're going to say, I'll tell you. It's Jesus. He changed my life. And just like JJ, Jesus is always the answer. And he's the only answer. And so yet, you and I don't be fooled about all these things that try to trick us. Understand, in verse 27, we see that they believe in evangelism in hell. Why is it in hell they believe in evangelism? Why is it that we wait to tell people about Jesus? 
Why is it that we wait till the funeral? We wait. Christians, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why are we waiting? What are we waiting on? It's time that we as God's people say, I need to tell people about Jesus. This thing is urgent. It's important. Every second of every day, a life is extinguished. Every second of every day, there's a life that's extinguished. And did they know about Jesus? Did somebody tell them? Did somebody present to them the gospel? Or are we just going to keep letting seconds pass by as another soul for all eternity is going to burn in a place called hell? And yet there are Christians, good people, that would say it doesn't really exist. There are Christian books that say it doesn't really exist. When Jesus expressly talked about it, here's the thing. I'm not going to take the chance. I'm not going to take the chance. If there isn't a place called hell, well, praise the Lord, there's not a place called hell. But if there is, what a reckoning we have. So as God's people, we need to step back and say, Lord, help me to tell people about Jesus. The Bible tells us that in Acts 5, that uh, the disciples, when Jesus had ascended back up into heaven, they they were captured and put in prison. And then the Pharisees and priests got uh, John and uh, Peter out of prison and said, hey, you have filled Jerusalem with the teachings of the gospel. They had filled it. They were so adamant about telling people about Jesus. Can you play a little bit softer, Edward, please? They knew that this is it. This past week, Jane asked me to pick up some coffee. So I normally don't go to Pete's. I like to go somewhere a little bit more convenient, even though Pete's coffee tastes better than Starbucks. That's not a dig. It's just a fact. I went there, and I was on a call with Rocky from our church who had just been recovering. And, you know, you're on a call. You just don't notice. And I was like, it's empty. It's like 1.30 in the afternoon. Not a lot of people getting coffee. So it's empty. And I was like, man, it's taking a long time to get coffee. And I, I, I was on a phone call, so I was like, I didn't really care. But I was like, it's a long time. Like, people had came, got their coffee, left, came, got their coffee. And I was like, okay, it's been about 15 minutes. So I walk up to her, and she's like, oh, I forgot your coffee. And I was like, oh, no big deal. And then she hands me a coffee. And then I needed to go next door to Whole Foods to return something to Amazon. As I'm walking back to my car, a guy stops and says, hey, sir, do you have some time? I, I ran out of gas. And I was like, oh, man, if I would have been in and out, he wouldn't have asked me for gas money. I would have had more money in my pocket. Come on, you think that's wrong for a pastor. I'm just telling you exactly how I thought. I was annoyed. I was like, here I am. I just need to get Jane her coffee, and now this guy wants gas money. But then I remembered I had one of these, who's your one? I was like, oh, I need to talk to this guy. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to let the gas pump go. So, honey, if you see another bill of gas, that's, that's what it is. I was helping somebody. You know, God will give you opportunities to talk to people. He will give you opportunities to share with people because if we really believe in this place, then we need to tell people. Please write this down. Eternity is too long to be wrong. It's too long to be wrong. This is not something that the church can just say, oh, it's okay if we missed that one. No, this is it. It doesn't matter how many backpacks we give away, how many Christmas trees we give away. It doesn't matter how many turkey dinners we give away. It doesn't matter how much money we give away. It doesn't matter what kind of buildings we build. All that matters is that we tell people about Jesus because hell is too long to be wrong. And this world is so confused by it. And the church is not helping. How many churches just say, oh, just say a little prayer and you can pray people out of hell. I wish that were in the Bible because we create that ministry of just praying people out of hell. 
You know there are people that literally believe you can pray people out of hell. Why do you think Ancestry.com is so big? The Mormons started it because they believe you can pray your relatives out of hell. So Ancestry.com is owned by the Mormons because they want to know their whole lineage so they can back and go back and pray their relatives out of hell. It's great, except for it's not in this book. Otherwise, we'd see the apostles and Jesus teaching on it. You see, we look at what Jesus taught, what the disciples taught, and that's what we teach. They never once taught that you can pray a relative out of hell. In our area, here's one, and I, I, this may be offensive. You'll go into a shop or you'll go into uh, 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 somebody's home, and they'll have a statue with some incense, and they'll have some things there by the statue. And when I first moved to the Bay Area, I didn't know what that was. I said, is this free? What, is this like just kind of like samples? And they were like, no, those are our relatives who have passed away. Those are their favorite things. So they can have them in the great beyond. And I said, oh, wow. My friend, I wish that were true. Because the rich man said, I'll just take just a drop of water. And around here, we think we can give people things that they can have in hell. It's not there. And let me be as honest as I can. I'm a compassionate person. I wish it was. I wish there were multiple ways to heaven. I wish there was never any hell. Let's just say it. There's nothing, a part of me that says, oh, yeah, I'm glad there's a hell. No, no Christian can call themselves a Christian and be like, yeah, I'm kind of glad there's, you know, certain people get to go to hell. No, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I don't want anybody to suffer. So eternity is too long to be wrong. But lastly, Christ is better at saving you than you are at sinning. So if you're here, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Jesus can save you. You say, I've been too bad. I've done too much wrong. Jesus can save you. That's what he does. It's just like Michael running for the pool, about to end his life. And Jesus steps in and says, I'm the great rescuer. That's why he came. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 2005, I was in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. I was doing a youth crusade for some young kids. And at the end of the rally, I would give a message and then give an invitation where the boys and girls can come forward and receive Jesus as their Savior. And we'd pray with them. We'd give them a Bible. One of the parents came up to me, and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, Ashlyn gave her life to Christ today. I said, oh, that's exciting. That's wonderful. I love it when children at a young age get to grow up in their faith. And I said, you've got a great responsibility, mother, to teach them. And she said, no, you don't understand. And she handed me this magazine that's 16 years old. That's Ashlyn. It's hard to read the print, but the letters say, two little heroes battling cancer. You see, Ashlyn, at the age of two and a half, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Her mom said, we don't know. She said, we just take every day as a gift because we just don't know with Ashlyn. She said, you don't know what a miracle it is to know that my child will be in heaven because the doctors have given up hope on her. There's no more treatments. There's no nothing. He said, thank you. It means everything to a parent. To know that their child, they will see him again. 
none of this, I hope they're in a better place. So I keep this magazine as a reminder of people that you and I can touch that 16 years from now, I know where Ashlyn is. Her body, gone. But her spirit and soul is celebrating in heaven. My friend, church, if we don't reach the lost, we are lost as a church. This is why we exist. We want to depopulate hell as we populate heaven. And at the same time, we want to fill our church, too, with people who are born again. The rich man, if he could have one word with us, he would say, tell anybody and everybody. And I know it's so easy to get caught up in our lives. I know it's real easy to say, I got to pay the bills. got to get the kids through school. I got to make sure the marriage is good. And I got to do all these things. Yes, yes, and yes. But also what I found is that, Lord, help me just to tell the right person. I want to tell everybody. I could tell you folks, look, I'm not a pastor because it pays well. I'm not a pastor because it's easy. I'm not even a pastor because I want to be. I was the kid that grew up wanting to have a, 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 a Welch's grape juice vineyard in Carmel because I wasn't allowed to drink wine as a kid. So I was like, fine, it'll be Welch's grape juice vineyards and I'll have a ranch. That's the kid I wanted to be. But at 15, God got a hold of my heart and said, there are people that don't know me. Go tell them. And then God brought me to the Bay Area, an area that is hard, where there's a whole lot of lost people. 3% of the Bay Area's 8.4 million people go to any religious gathering. Any. There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And so that's why God calls us here for such a time as this. In James 5, it says, but life is a vapor that quickly appears and then vanishes away. Our life is a vapor. We're here for a moment. What we do lasts, though. And so you and I, we have a moment to say, who's my Ashland? Who's my one? You see, he had more than just one. He had five. And if you sense urgency, it's because we need to be urgent. All the people that are afraid of dying right now, I talk to so many people that are afraid of dying. It's on their mind. It's all they see. It's all they hear. What a great time to open up to them and say, hey, you want to know for sure that heaven is your home? Can I share with you? Can I tell you that God loves you? And now you've got answers when they say, I can't believe a good God would send people to hell. You can say, guess what? He didn't send nobody. You sent yourself there. He's trying to rescue you. And I'm trying to rescue you. You're my Michael running for the pool, and I'm going to rescue you. And they may not get it, but you and I will get it. You have a Michael that you can rescue from ending their life. And that's what our church exists. That's why we want to be loving. We want to be kind. But at the end of the day, I'm okay if I offend you preaching on hell so long as you now know. And Abraham reminded him, said, hey, you received your good things. You had your moment and you let it pass. With heads bowed and eyes closed, can we all stand? I went a little bit longer and I apologize. But this topic is so important. Who's our one? We have a mission, church. We can't stop telling people. We must tell people about Jesus. So maybe last week you got this card and you, you didn't tell anybody. But I'm going to invite you this week to take that card next to your seat and write down a one that you have. 
And in the moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And you can take that one and you can put it on that cross. And you say, that's who I'm praying for. And then we will also look at those names and we will pray with you. Because we want you to make sure you have a one. So you can grab a pen and start filling that out. And I'll give you a moment in just a second to come forward. But right now, maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe this is the first time coming back to God after a long time. And you say, I don't know God. I always just assumed that I was a good person, that I would make it to heaven on my own. But maybe now you realize that, no, that's not true. That that's just one of hell's best kept secrets. And maybe this morning you realize that you need to receive Jesus Christ. You need to put your faith and trust in him. And you say, I want to do that today. If that's you, with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, would you say, yes, today I want to receive Jesus Christ my Savior. Would you slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Is that you? I see that hand. I see that hand. That hand. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. I see that hand in the back. Amen. God bless you. What we're going to do is we're going to pray together. And we're going to invite Jesus into our heart. And church family, would you help me? I know many of you have received Jesus Christ already as your Savior. But it helps those that are coming to God for the first time to do it together. So we're going to pray all out loud together. And we're going to pray and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, if you prayed to receive Jesus Christ, this is not something you have to do every single time. I was only born out of my mother's tummy once. You only need to get saved once and your salvation secure. But if you ever want to talk about how you know that you're saved, we want to talk with you about that. Because you don't have to constantly keep receiving Jesus Christ, your Savior. You receive him once and you're sealed with that spirit of promise. The Bible says in John 10, 28, that we are put in God's grip. And as one southern preacher once said, God's grip don't slip. God's not going to let you out of his grip. We're in his hand. But let's pray this prayer out loud together for those who are coming to God for the first time. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, I believe your word that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I believe that I am a sinner. And Jesus is the only one that can save me. Forgive my sin and wash me clean. I repent of all my wrong I've done. Please forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.